This is Jan Cox Talk number 2,595, recorded October 23rd, 2000. I thought since I have nothing to particular to say that I would sit down and make it look more casual. Like, I was just thinking, and it's made it interesting since I started writing that stuff for the internet every day with the general idea that I was writing for civilians. Well, for people who obviously had either heard of the fourth way or Sufism or... But talking to you guys, and I always give you credit, several of you have hinted to me that you thought was undeserved. But see, I always give you credit that anything I talk about that you're just somewhere in the same neighborhood anyway. You know, I've talked about everything that could be talked about a good while back, and I just circled around came up behind some mountains. And I don't mean in the sense that uh, now I have anything to say or that I'm tired of it, because I've told you it's more fun than ever, except the fun in my head nowadays, to put it simply, the fun is truly beyond anything that I feel confident about saying, because it's almost non-existent. And that concludes your comments for the night. I still, even from you people who've been around, not necessarily here in town, it's you people out of town on tape I got to blame this on. Uh, the comments I get, little notes I get, it's still on the basis. Uh, primarily of how you feel, how people feel, and that for you people out of town, when I said I was picking on you, it's, it seems to have worked out that the people here that I'm around in person, no one tells me anymore about their problems. Uh, and for a while, I felt real good about that, except every now and then I hear I, someone will say, I don't know who you know about this, but I guess I should tell you. And it turns out that you people still whine amongst yourselves. <laughs> but it's to the point that you don't whine to me. So, in a foolish dream, it's like I thought, God, is everybody, you know, awake or what? That at least they reach that point that people, they don't whine about what's going on. Some of you people out of town whine, and I think that you are inadvertently whining on people's hearers' behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's what it gets down to. Besides all that little humor, you know, I keep talking about, especially the last two years, I know, just on and on about the mind and thought. At least from my view, that's what I'm talking about. And in verbal, that's what I'm talking about. And the truth is, I don't know really how many of you still picture this going on, picture it in those terms. Because when it gets down to it, somebody recently... Uh, one of you people were talking to me and making some little note, and you said as much as you enjoyed what I was talking about, I'm just paraphrasing it, and you said, but uh, sometimes I wish you'd talk more about feelings because, you know, me personally, when it gets down to it, you know, feelings seem to be the most important thing to me, just personally. Hell, it's the most important thing to everybody. <laughs> it's the only thing. The rest of this, I repeat, you can find your own view but the only time that thought comes into play is you're flying down the highway. 
90 miles an hour, you go past the sign and it says bridge out. Of course, this gets complicated because if you wasn't for the mine, you wouldn't be in a car. We wouldn't have cars. You wouldn't be driving anyway. So it always gets back to wherever you're standing. Lift up your left foot and look under there. And there's where everything is. Everything. And if it's not, if I'm wrong, put your left foot down and lift up your right. And that's where it is. But at any rate, the only time that thought really comes into play is in literal survival-related activity. That your mind looks up and goes, bridge out, I believe I'll hit the brakes. If it was up to your foot, goodbye, Martha. (laughs) You'd hit that ravine. You'd make evil Knievel look like a stay-at-home. Other than that, of what use is the mind? From one view, and you know I don't mean this really critically, but from just a theatrically sarcastic uh, view for a moment, what good is thought? From one view, none. If it's not solving problems, what the hell good is it? It doesn't digest food. It doesn't help you breathe. When you get above the level of consciousness, what's going on that you need? It's below the level of consciousness. It's back in the old reptilian brain. It's down the cerebellum. Your temperature is regulated. Your breathing is taken care of. Your equilibrium is seen too. As we all know, you can be consciously dead. You can suffer that kind of brain damage and live for years and years. With no great enthusiasm on your family's part, I might point out. Nobody likes caring for a dead relative. And then somebody say, yeah, but he's not really dead. You go, well, oh, you're right. <laughs> if he was dead, I'd be through having pay to keep him going. We'd had the funeral paid off. At any rate, you can be consciously, that is, have the conscious part of the brain damaged, et cetera, and live a long time. What good is thought? When it gets down to what I was going to say and the person said that they, you know, from their view, you know, it just seemed like personal. When it got down to it, feelings was everything. Feelings is everything to everybody. What makes thought, to tie it into that, what makes thought of interest and useful for our kind of purpose is this. is whatever thought's going on is a direct result of how you're feeling. And I say a direct result. Again, I don't know everyone's health. I know that some of you have uh, continuing... Some of you are kind of, as a Southern mystic say, some of you seem to be innately sort of poorly <laughs> or poorly. And there are people in life, uh, I'm not making fun, there are people in life, we all have friends and relatives, that there are people in life that just seem to have never felt good since the day they were born, just been sickly. That's the word I was looking for. Sickly. In case poorly was too southern for some of you New York and California sophisticates. Sickly. But let's say for most people, average people, uh, most of the time you're not feeling one way or the other enough, when I say that thoughts are a direct result of the way you feel, of you actually feeling any particular way, or your thoughts being any particular way. But my old kinds of examples, if you eat too much spicy food, you eat something that disagrees with you late at night, and you get up in the morning, 
your thoughts can be very likely just royally pissed. Well, you just wake up and you're just raw. You're just irritated when you wake up. And you might be taking it, the thoughts might be looking somewhere else. The, you know, the clock radio goes on, let's say. And you wake up and whatever song, you got on a station to wake you up, and whatever song's playing, you might immediately go, God damn Pink Floyd, those are ignorant sons. Why are they still playing that kind of crap from the 70s? And it could be that half the time or under ordinary conditions, you might have woke up and thought, Boy, Pink Floyd, or hum, hum along. But there it is. But most of the time, I'm saying most of the time and most of the people, average people, you are just um, sort of in a upright, homeostatic, neither too much to the right or to the left anyway. That is, you just, somebody, if you ask yourself, how do I feel? You don't really know. You know I feel like a piece of white bread. I just, everything's all right, you know. You notice I'm not out dancing a jig in the front yard, but everything's all right. So far, so good. So, on that basis, if you're going to take what I said, that thoughts are the only conscious measure, measurement of how you feel, then most of the time you'd say, well, come see, come sigh. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'd, I feel all right, I guess. Nothing special. But the rest of the time, you can judge, and people do not normally do it as obvious as it is, even though I make the perhaps extreme examples of having too many anchovies late at night. But how often do you ever hear anybody? Have you ever thought about yourself? That you're, let's say, aware of the fact, and this, again, it varies from person to person. Not all of you feel that deeply. Not all of you have emotions that affect your thoughts that directly. And so all of this, I understand it. I can see it. It's no, it's no doubt about it. It varies from person to person widely. But just notice, you do not hear, it's not part of common wisdom for people to notice, to ever write about in fiction, or just to, to ever mention the fact that they have finally caught on, that they have wild uh, swings of intellectual mood, that sometimes that their head is just full of just nasty thoughts, just non-stop critical thoughts. I'm just, I'm pissed in my mind. My thoughts are just, every, every thought I have is, is shameful almost. It's just irritable. And sometimes it's not. But a lot of times, sometimes it is, and boy, it is really first class. And I used to think about, uh, I used to try and ponder what sort of childhood traumas have I experienced of which I have suppressed and are now popping out. And I worked on that for years and years, and I read psychology books. I took some courses over to community college in psychology. And it finally hit me that every time that I am filled, that my head gets filled and I'm caught up for a long period of time. You know, I have one of these days where I'm just pissed. I'm not just pissed in my head. I'm pissed in my guts. I literally do not feel good. And quite often, or at least some of the times, I can look at it as being, quote, self-induced. Something I ate, I drank too much, I had too much coffee, I stayed up too late. I stayed up too late, drank too much coffee, and didn't eat enough. And I went to bed. I, I remember last night, I, my head was, I almost had a headache when I went to bed. And I woke up, and I forgot all about that. And God knows how many days I've done this in my life. But I'd forgotten all about how bad I felt just going to bed. And even last night as I went to bed, I thought, 
damn, I gotta, I gotta start eating more if I'm gonna stay up this late and I shouldn't be drinking coffee this late or whatever it was. I shouldn't have a, at any rate, I wake up and I am just mad at Pink Floyd. I'm mad at the radio station. I'm mad at rock and roll. I'm mad at radios. I'm mad at my job. I stay up too late, drank too much coffee and didn't eat anything. That is the depth of it. They do not treat that. No psychiatrist has that attitude. Psychiatry does not have that attitude. Religion doesn't have that attitude. They would look at it as punishment. But they would never look at it as though, well, you have harsh thoughts because you're not eating properly. Of course, there were certain religions, I can say, well, so you've been drinking coffee. Don't you know that our church prohibits coffee? We do not have caffeine. There's your problem. God is punishing you. You're sinning. Have you ever heard, read, anybody point out that you could look at all so-called neuroses or just undesirable mood swings in the head? Again, we're not talking about anything that would be actual brain damage. We're just people that say, my thoughts are so aggressive, they're so offensive to me at times. They're just so mean. Or they can be fearful. I always use aggression. I don't know why. Because <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm sure that some people, if they call their problem, if we left it some way, it would probably be on the other side of that kind of mental quote, disorder, be the other side. I don't know, just for some reason, I don't know, I don't care to go into it. And don't ask, all right? I'm getting nosy with me. For some reason, it just, that's my most, that's the example that comes to my mind, is all I can tell you. But when do you ever hear anybody simply look at it in that way? And yet you know damn well if I point that out, and made up my little scenario, if I said, if I was talking to somebody, psychiatrist, priest, rabbi, ordinary person, and we got talking about uh, how widely your intellectual life, the talk in your head, how widely it can vary from being rather innocuous to sometimes being sweet, and you having thoughts about people looking around at life and thinking how sweet people are, how little credit we give one another, how we should all be more loving to one another. And then another morning I wake up and I think, fuck everybody. And so let's say I got the person go, yeah, you're right. It happens with me. Now go, you ever thought, why? Now what would most of the people, I've already been through it, but most people in the world, they would say, well, you know, I assume it would have to be, because I just pointed out a few, You understand, all of you know that, they're wild enough stories, not just punishment of God. They're saying, well, the planets. Jupiter is too close to a Mercury or maybe an explorer. And one of my, what do you call it? One, one of my cusp had its tread come loose from a sidewall. That's when, well, that's what I was trying to, maybe I get them confused. That's when Mercury was too close to the explorer or Venus. At any rate, they would come up with everything from that to most likely, I would think, nowadays, a civilized world, educated, most people. They would probably say, well, it's probably some sort of uh, 
unconscious stress. It's either something from my childhood or it could be something even in my contemporaneous life. You know, maybe I'm mad at my boss or somebody at work and uh, I'm repressing it. And I, I don't know. In other words, nobody knows for sure, but there's a handful, always has been, a handful of theories. All the way back in the Western world to the Greeks, that it's the gods fucking with you. That they'll actually do that. The great gods, we all know. You didn't know? Go back and read. Maybe that'll make some of you feel better. Anyway, <laughs> the gods, and especially the goddesses, I might add, make some of you men feel better, would actually come into people's lives secretly and really muck it up. Sometimes for no particular reason. You know, they had their own problems. <laughs> some of them obviously were a little on the you know, unhinged side, even for a god. But at any rate, there's always been stories. And as I started to say, I could get an ordinary person to agree if I picked out and if I pictured a very specific example and made, and made it specific and a little unusual enough. If I said, hey, have you ever considered, you know, some morning you got up and you really feel pissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever considered that it could have been something you ate? That you woke up and your mind's going, damn everybody and damn the radio and fuck everything. You know, rather than being some stress from your job or something from childhood, have you ever considered the fact that maybe you, you ate the wrong food last night? I would assume that if, that most people on the planet nowadays, they would probably go, that could have been. No, you're right, that, that could happen. Maybe drank too much. Yeah, obviously that can. Make you wake up with all sorts of weird things in your head. But I could probably get him to go, go along with the fact that, yeah, I, I can see that if, if I said, is there some food that really bothers you? I normally say anchovies, but you could say cabbage or, you know, anything that everybody has something that probably bothers them. And they could, now if I said, if you really ate a meal of that, if you got carried away at night and ate it, you're concerned the fact that when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you're mad and hollering, fuck the world, it could have been no more than that. I would assume I could get everybody to go, yeah, you're probably right. Which, as I keep pointing out, I could probably get any, most of the six billion people on this planet to agree to most anything for a moment. <laughs> Even if you're considered the fact that you don't really see life as it is, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> there you go, you got any anchovies? <laughs> Even though, I say to you, if you don't see it this way yourself, I still say to you, the whole thing about being awake, being enlightened, takes place in one area of your brain. The whole thing, it doesn't take place in monasteries, and it doesn't take place in books, and it doesn't take place somewhere out here floating between you and some guru or you and life. It's in each person's head. If it happens, that's where it happens. That's what the whole thing is. That's the beginning and end of it. So on that basis... There is nothing we could say more important than what's going on in consciousness to someone who's tr trying to achieve that kind of end, someone that has the longing, the hunger, even if you don't know exactly, or if you're not satisfied even with your own explanation. Something drives you. So if you to accept my model, which you're safe doing, my description of it, I'm saying that there's nothing, there's nothing about it that is outside that area of the human brain that produces conscious thought. That's the beginning and the end of it. There is nowhere else. There is nothing else. So if that be true, then nothing would be of more significance 
to someone attempting to awaken, to achieve enlightenment, the great liberation, there would be nothing of more significance. There would be nothing of any real significance, but certainly nothing of equal or more significance than that which is going on in consciousness. But see, here's the thing. It's only things in consciousness of which we can be conscious, having to do with ourselves. Other than pain, other than physical pain. Of course, when you're really sick, if you've broken a leg, or if you've got sclerosis, well, with the liver, they understand that's kind of gradual, so I don't know. Anyway, if you're having a heart attack, when you have that kind of pain, then you've got a direct... You have direct information about how you physically feel. But if it is not anything that drastic, then the only monitoring that we can talk about, the only conscious monitoring, measuring, awareness you have of the rest of the way you feel is whatever is being reflected in thought. If there's nothing extreme going on, there's not enough that sends you to the doctor. See, so you notice the anchovies and such as that. It's not extreme enough, even though it could have made you really sick during the night. If you wake up and you're not aware of it, then that's what I mean, that you're, there wasn't extreme. And that the only monitoring of it now, the only reflection of it is what's going on in your conscious thoughts. During the night, you could have even had stomach cramps from it. No, I mean, you could have woken up once or twice with a stomachache, and curse the damn anchovies. But do understand what I'm saying. Then here it is three or four hours later. You finally have to wake up for good. You have forgotten. Your stomach is no longer physically in pain. And you have forgotten what happened, what you ate, and you've forgotten that even during the night you woke up with stomach cramps. You just wake up now, and you are not physically in pain. The reflection is still there, but now it's in thought. That's the extent of it. But the reflection of it can be a gross exaggeration of what you would normally be, such as waking up and mad at the radio. God damn that son of a turn. The commercials on. Why do they play commercials louder than music? Jesus. Plus, isn't that just my luck? I mean, the one minute that the alarm goes off, it couldn't be a piece of music. It's a commercial. I've got to do something about my temper. Here it is. I've been trying to awaken all these years, and I still look at me. This is, what the hell am I doing? And thought will look everywhere, as it always does, except somewhere that might do it some good. I shouldn't say that. That might make itself look up its own skirt. It struck me again. I've mentioned this several ways. But there's another view, and I, I still find it helpful, uh, interesting, which makes it helpful. I say that the mind, human thought, that won't make any sense. Life. Life has constructed around thought what amounts to an almost impenetrable, in fact, almost imperceptible firewall around thought. That is, around thoughts, self-realization. And I beg you, don't waste your effort by just sniggering, because I know it'll get a laugh. 
but something else came to mind. Another prime example that I've never used. If you just snigger, you know, that's not the point. I'm not doing it for that purpose. But you might also consider, why does it immediately make you snicker when you hear what I'm about to say? And people go, Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't answer that until I tell you what it is, and then you snicker, and then we'll take time out, and everybody look into your own soul, or wherever you snicker from. <laughs> look down into, the, look into the depths of your snicker center. And go, what goeth there, else? <laughs> anyway, there is. It, thought, I put it to you this way before, whether you made any sense. Thought stays in a position that even amongst the most intelligent people, I'll take people like Freud. By all accounts, a man, he surely had an IQ of a genius. I just pick him out almost as often, I guess, as religion to have an example to kick around. But the man was absolutely, in one sense, at an ordinary level, he was obviously way above average. But there was, I'm picking him out now, that we're taking our lifetime, more or less, someone who really applied themselves to, quote, trying to understand the human mind. Under ordinary conditions, no matter what a kind of genius you are, whether you be a Freud or a Goethe or an Aristotle, There is, uh, for a long time, my favorite was the thought stays one step removed. And I've used that phrase with you several times, whether it made any sense, I couldn't tell or not. But how about a firewall? <laughs> and here's an example. Uh, there's been a lot of news recently about fraudulent sports memorabilia. I have seen exposés, there's been articles... Uh, there was a headline somewhere I saw a big flashing, one of these warning things between days when the ozone was about to collapse on us. But one day it says, experts say that up to 95% of all sports memorabilia is fake. That's getting up there. At any rate. I never really thought about one way or the other. I'm aware of the fact that there, I see these ads, sports shows, sports memorabilia shows. And I'm aware that stuff sells. I'm aware that people collect it. So I glance through, and it's talking about that it is now, whatever it was, a $10 billion a year industry, they estimate, of buying sports memorabilia. And it all amounts to, uh, evidently 99% of it amounts to a signature somewhere. Even if the piece of equipment was in itself famous, like uh, Mark McGuire's, how many did he finally hit? 70? Where it was? The 70th home run. Whenever, what was the big year he had? Huh? 71. How much? 71. Okay, 71. Hey, I was close <laughs> for me. Anyway, not only that somebody claims it's the ball, but it will be that he signed the ball. And there it is all. Anyway, they were pointing out. Here it comes. $10 billion a year that people spend on buying a ball of photograph signed by Yogi Berra, Casey Stengel, Ty Cobb. Catch this now. I mean, I hope you're ready for this. According to the experts, there are people out there People, some of them doing business. They have sports memorabilia shops. 
And what they're doing is they get a... I don't know why I should tell you this, but most of you are grown. But now I'm just repeating what I read. They said that these guys will take a photograph of Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, go to a store, go to a photo place, have a bunch of them copied, and then sit there at the counter in their store when nobody's there and sign Mickey Mantle's name on the photograph, stick it in a frame, and put a $100 price tag on it. That it's not authentic. That they'll get a baseball. They'll just go buy a damn baseball down to them sporting goods store and sign Mark McGuire's name on it. Can you believe that? But not to fear because what they said, you know what the answer is? Insist on a certificate of authenticity. I'd already figured it out, but I thought, okay, I'll read another paragraph. I'll, I'll listen to one more sentence. They say, of course, they're showing. It's a good thing you're reading our magazine or listening to this newscast because now you're part of the hip crowd. You will no longer be seen as a rube. You won't be taken as some clod that just stepped off of a damn potato truck because if somebody offers you a baseball signed by Lou Gehrig, you go, okay. And they give you the price and you go, that's not bad. But do you have... A certificate of authenticity, and they look at you with renewed or refreshed respect, like, uh huh. I thought when we, I saw you walk in, you were not only a big spender, you were sharp as a tack. And the man reaches under the counter and he pulls out a certificate of authenticity signed by Lou Gehrig, vouching for the fact that the baseball that you're about to buy was signed by him. Then, say the experts, then you can relax and go, aha. Uh -huh. Then be assured of getting a reasonable bargain. At least be assured of not being took. Well, you've already done it on your own here, but, you know, I can sit here and go through these cheap, you know, dramatics. But you do understand I'm not making this up. I'm repeating what they said. The man looked dead in the camera, the reporter. The man who went out and was reporting on this, what they found, how widespread. But he's saying, well, there's a simple solution to this. You know, don't just because somebody at a sports show walks up to you and says, would you, I have a baseball from 1929, from the 1929 World Series, matter of fact, signed by Ty Cobb. Would you be interested? And you go, damn right. But see... They point out to you. Evidently, it took, God knows, 20 or 30 years for them to get around to this. I shouldn't do this. You're going to miss it. Well, I, I keep giving you people credit. You know, I can make it sound ridiculous. I can go, good God, how dumb can they be? Except you got to remember this. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people have been collecting this sports memorabilia for 20 or 30 years. People with jobs. People with college education. So for me to go, good God, is the whole world crazy? Are they idiots? That's a pretty cheap shot. It's inaccurate. Well, it's not inaccurate. Let me tell you, let me tell you another way of putting it. <laughs> it does not reflect reality on the hoof. It does not reflect collective reality. The point is, the world is full of people who have enough 
cash in their pocket to spend whatever they spend $3,000 on a baseball because another human being signed it. So the people that's got that kind of money, and they've been doing this now, let's say sports memorabilia, let's just say it's been a big business for 50 years. I don't know, but at least that. So for 50 years, you've had reasonable, grown people, smart enough to make enough money that they could spend $3,000 on a $3 baseball because it has some marks on it. What do you call it? An autograph. So... You're missing the point. I, I may be distracting you and there are things that you could get on your own. Don't just giggle and, and jump past that either. I can I can make it sound as though, good grief, are people crazy? And if you don't watch it, go, yeah, 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 they are. Except for this. What I'm trying to get you to see, there were large segments of the population and are still doing it. This expose is not going to change a damn thing, as you know, or you should know. But there have been people being took. There have been people being signed their own name to baseballs. Forging it, they've been doing that. And yet, periodically, there has to be an expose of it. But notice, even when the expose arises, thoughts still will not come to direct realization of what it is. Because you understand, all of such frauds as this are all thought frauds. That's all they are. This is not armed robbery. That would be another thing. That would be an essential fraud. That would be a primary fraud. If a man comes up and hits you with a brick and takes this baseball away from you, this expensive baseball, or picks your pocket, takes your billfold, not picks it, takes it. But see, the rest of this is thought fraud. That we're into the secondary world. That you may be dealing with a tangible object such as a baseball or a photograph, but were it not for thought, who would collect an autograph? There would be no such thing as an autograph. Nobody would want an autograph. If somebody goes... Do you have a $1,000? And you go, yes. And they go, all right. If you give me that $1,000, I'll give you this piece of paper. The first you might think, was well, the piece of paper by any chance the paper upon which a $10,000 bill is printed? If so, we got a deal. And they go, no, look at this. And you look, and it's some lines. And you go, what is that? And they go, Sam Swartz signed his name here. And I can have it for only $1,000? Whoa, is this my lucky day or what? Without thought, there would be no such thing. It's all just a dream world. When you buy it, what have you bought? And again, now don't miss it, or don't just giggle. If somebody buys, if somebody stands there at a counter, and the guy's saying, $3,000, and you look at the baseball, or the person does, he goes, Ty Cobb, and the person looks at the ball, do you understand in their brain they're seeing a movie? You all the time are. The two sides of consciousness, what's said, this is a whole nother night I've been wanting to get around to. I point out to you that there's talk and there's listening inside the brain is to be fully conscious. From one view, what the brain says is really of no significance. It doesn't matter what, what we call our thoughts. It's the listening to them. So here's the guy at the counter. He says, he holds the baseball and he pushes it closer to you. And he says, Ty Cobb. He just says, Ty Cobb. And you're looking at the baseball. You're not looking at the fucking baseball. There's a movie going on. Whatever it is to you. Probably from some old film clip at the best of Ty Cobb. Looking at a camera, spitting tobacco juice. Maybe him 
sliding into second and nailing somebody again and cutting off part of their ankle. Or, Carl, I know it could be a movie that you've never even seen a film club of Ty Cobb, but there's been movies made of his life. And so now you're seeing Robert Redford playing who it was. And so you're looking at the baseball. And then simultaneously, you may be glancing back and looking at your bank account. You may be looking at your wife. Do I have to go into that? That later when you walk in, you go, she says, what is that? And how much did you pay for it? And you go, honey, now wait a minute, I'm going to have to explain this to you. So you're seeing that movie, and then you're still looking at the baseball. And he says, World Series. So now I don't know what you're seeing. And he says, 1929 World Series. The whole thing is he just keeps saying things. Ty Cobb, his best year ever. 1929 World Series. You can't blame him in a sense. Like I said, this is really another night unless you want to do it for yourself. It's not what's said in consciousness from one view that's the problem. That's not the captious part. It's the listening to it. It's your own consciousness's reaction. It's the movies, the pictures that your consciousness adds to it. In one sense, if you can hear me, I'm talking to us. I'm not speaking legally, but for a con man, for this guy that I just made up to go push the baseball toward you, the one he signed himself this morning, but he pushed it toward you and says, Ty Cobb. And you look off and dreaming. Now, if we were ordinary people, we could say, well, he knows what he's doing. He's trying to entice a man. He's already, you've already talked about he's baseball and he's already, you've already admitted because you told him beforehand that you loved Ty Cobb, that he was, that that's the memorabilia of his stuff. And that's when he reached down to the counter and said, well, I got something for you. So if we were outside observers, we could say, well, the guy knows your weakness and he's picking on you. He's a con man. I say from one view, now forget the legal aspects and forget psychological uh, views of this. I'm talking to us now, to one person's brain, what consciousness is. From one view, you shouldn't go shame on him. He's not conning you. Now, we know what ordinary people would mean. They go, yeah, he is. Because he's looking right at you and pushing the baseball and going, Ty Cobb. Knowing! He knows full well that you're going to get all, you're going to start thinking about time with the, the. Yeah, but he didn't make you do it. Nobody has a gun in your head going, listen to that. Every time you hear the name Ty Cobb, think of that film clip of him going in sideways and suddenly you see him hit the guy and the guy's leg splinter. And you see blood, even though the old film clip is black and white. You can see blood just fly through the air. <laughs> That's my kind of hero. He says, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb. That's just sound. You have to listen. You have to provide your own shadow puppets. You have to provide your own movies to go along. You have to kind yourself. You have to say yourself. At any rate, back to the firewall, one step removed. You obviously put it together. I can say, I can make it sound just as ridiculous as we want it to, that what kind of bullshit, what kind of idiots, what kind of insanity is this to say? Nowadays, there are very unscrupulous people into the sports memorabilia field who will not hesitate to knowingly sell you a forged baseball or glove or photograph. But 
Here is how to protect yourself. Insist. I don't care what their excuse is. Insist on a signed certificate of authenticity. Of course, they don't point out, well, if you insist enough, the guy will go, well, I don't have one. Well, I'm not going to buy it. Well, I got to have one. Well, I just don't have one. They didn't have any of these. Well, I, I just won't buy it. Uh, and then the guy goes, well, wait a minute. Now that you mention it. And of course, he goes in the back and he signs one. He goes, I'm glad you pushed that. I'd forgotten I had this. I can make it sound just ridiculous as hell. That you, they've already pointed out to you, and you're supposed to know that just because this guy has a baseball in this little plastic thing on a little rack or a little kind of pedestal that's in a box, and he says it's signed by Ty Cobb, and there's Ty Cobb's name, that didn't mean anything. It could be a forgery. God forbid he could have signed it. Here's what you do. Insist on an authentic, a certificate of authenticity wherein Ty Cobb says, yes, I did sign this. The baseball you see in the case right here at Joe's memorabilia shop, <laughs> be it hereby said, it may, it may be even signed under that by a notary public. But anyway, let's say that you have a certificate of authenticity signed by Ty Cobb. I don't have to say anymore, do I? What kind of lunacy? If the guy's going to sign a baseball with Ty Cobb's name, and he's already found out that now about this big expose, and now they're telling everybody to insist, well, hell, he draws up if he can't find a blank somewhere and make copies. He makes his own certificate of authenticity. And for every time ever baseball he signs with Ty Cobb, he signs an accompanying certificate of authenticity. I mean, any idiot would know that. Except they don't, do they? That is just, to me, that's the childish example. You know what the big example is, though, don't you? It's holy script. But I get tired of faking on religion. All right, the point is, you see with the sports memorabilia, from one absolute view, what else can you call it except just and stupidity? It's not even insanity. It's almost unbelievable stupidity that a person would feel better, feel confident, Buying a piece of, a signed piece of stuff, that if they had any doubt, as long as it had a certificate of authenticity signed by the person, of course, this is true. This is, this is him, this is Ty Cobb certifying that the ball you're about to buy is not a forgery, that some clown didn't sign his name. Ty is saying, by me signing this certificate, this is to assure you that I signed the baseball you're about to buy. From one view, you can say it's unbelievable. Except it's not. How do they prove Holy Scripture? How do they prove that God said this? It says so right here in his book. He said that he said it. And off march billions of people. And of course, I say people. It's not people. It's a problem. It's not people. It's the basis. It's the construction of thought. Look inside your own head. Now forget baseball memorabilia. Forget about that the world is full of idiots. That you say, all right, I might buy this photograph. I always, I might buy this signed photograph of uh, Charlemagne. But how do I know this is real? How do I know it's not just some other, you know, ninth century clown that you got a photograph of and just somebody signed his name? Could have been a Charlemagne lookalike. 
The guy says, ah, I see I'm dealing now with a professional collector. Man who knows his historical photographs, all right? And he whips out. He says, pardon me while I whip this thing out. <laughs> That's blazing saddles, though, isn't it? And all the, all the women scream. He goes, I whip out this certificate of authenticity. Signed by Charlemagne himself, notarized by his brother-in-law, who was a notary of public. How about inside your own head? You continually, you listen to what your own thoughts say. And I'll tell you what, now that I got all of you laughing at dumb asses that would buy a forgery, would buy a baseball signed by somebody, and you got no way of knowing, which was dumb enough. I assume all of you laughed along. Unless any of you are actually sports collectors. <laughs> but it's passive one. I don't feel bad. Everybody needs a hobby. <laughs> but just don't tell me about it. <laughs> but rather than laughing and going, well, what kind of idiots would pay $3,000 for a signed baseball? Or what kind of idiot would pay $3,000 for a signed anything? That's settled it for me. How about 300 Well, anyway. And then say, and they'll laugh at them and, and then say, yeah, but it's even a double laugh that they go, well, don't laugh at me. I got a certificate of authenticity. I'm not like the rest of these clowns that get took. And you can say, all right, I won't laugh at you like I was going to. I'm going to laugh at you twice as hard. <laughs> right. Before you do that, consider that you do the same thing inside your own head, listening to your own thinking. And there's, no, there's nothing even resembling a phony baloney certificate of authenticity. Well, other than this is, well, I thought it, so therefore, it, you know, it either must be true or at least it's what I think is true. You know, it's a good thing that our consciousness can't charge us for thoughts. There'd be two things true with everybody. We would all be broke, the whole world, and plus the whole world, you know, when God comes back and he goes, all right, I want everybody that's a rube. I want everybody that's been, that got took in life. I want the, I want everybody that got took to stand over here. And then I want all you people who took them to stand over here on my right. But all you people who got took, stand on my left. Well, I hope he's in a real flat, balanced place because six billion people are going to be staying on his left. I want the kind men to stand on my right. And then I want, I want the conners to stand on my right. And I want the kindees to stand on my left. Well, suddenly you're going to have 12 billion feet running over to God's left. Because even the conners in life are the conies. <laughs> well, I don't see much need in dragging out the metaphorical significance of the last part much more. You, you simply, you buy forgeries, you purchase uh, counterfeit goods. It's just we don't really pay money for it, but you pay the whole energy you have in consciousness. You pay the possibility, the potential that you could have seen something in another way by taking the way you saw it. Oh, well, yeah, that's not true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I agree. I remember. Uh, as I said, I, maybe I'll do it next time. I've been wanting to get around to that. If all of you have considered my model before, that for consciousness to take place, 
I've been through this numerous times and all the way from God speaking to Adam and that sort of thing. And every religion, all of them began, all their holy books always began about the word, which I see as simply consciousness reflecting on itself back then. It's not just when consciousness talk. It's not just that God said, hey, you. You know, it didn't work. Adam finally had the answer. You know, I made up one. I, very, I didn't really pull it on you guys that night, but I stuck it in the Daily News for you people who read it. I took it a little bit further and pointed out that as long as this voice, as long as Adam was walking around in silent paradise, back in instinctive paradise, and then one day there's this voice from nowhere that goes, Hey, you. Hey, hey. And the way I put it was, the first couple of times, Adam didn't respond. Think about yourself. Maybe he was spooked. I mean, he never heard a voice before. Maybe he didn't know what to do. You don't know how to what to do. But anyway, I point out that consciousness was not in full effect. That was like warm-up consciousness. That was like maybe just pumping the gas on a cold morning before you actually turn the key. But that's not real consciousness, the voice of God or this outside voice, this supernatural, this where the hell did it come from voice going, hey, hey, hey. Consciousness was not cranked up until, after a few times, we'll assume, finally Adam went, who, me? Now we got it. But of course, as I intend it, don't look at it as being God or any kind of voice outside the person's brain. It was the person's, that part of the brain that produces conscious thought. It takes two parts. It talks and it listens to itself talk. And so from one view, and I, as I point out, I went ahead and got our feet wet tonight if you followed it. From one view, I could say and make it fly in a, in a profitable way, if you call it, that what consciousness says is not important. That is, no matter what kind of thoughts you have, no matter what your thoughts say, I don't care how despicable, how shameful, whatever term you have. It doesn't matter, period. It doesn't matter literally what they say because nothing takes place until the listening part. And then the listening part plays its own movies to what it heard. That you can't blame thought because you have to listen to thought and then you have to react to it. You have to play your own movies inside that own part of your thinking, your listening part of consciousness for it to have any effect. That is, for it to actually be what you think. Think. So you can be, you can live in a world that's full of nothing but a cacophony of bullshit, insanity. But none of it matters. Where well, it could be, you could live in a world that was full of great pearls of wisdom, just nonstop, instead of all the bullshit and Pink Floyd and Stairway to Heaven for the ten billionth time. It could be. Nothing but words of comfort, enlightening wisdom. It would not matter. None of it matters until Adam says, huh? That is, it doesn't matter until you hear the words of wisdom that says, the way that can be described is not the true way. you got to have a movie to go along with that. Blessed is he who is big enough to bend over and help a fallen comrade.
you can think, Jesus, is that heavy? Is that touching? Is that the way to run your life? It doesn't mean shit until you heard it and you saw a movie. You played a movie that went along with that. Just pow. But you did. You were Adam and you went, huh? Hmm, me? Ooh, ah. Ah. Now I see why I've been putting that off so long, now that I even started a little. But really, that just, it really, it helped me a lot to realize, not in theory, because I always knew it was true, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what goes on in life anyway, but it certainly doesn't matter what other people say. Now I already knew that, but this was such a refinement that not only does it matter, not matter what people say, it literally is not even effective, because if you disagree with somebody, how can you blame it on them? If somebody says, there is no God, and it clicks a movie in you, let's say that you're religious, and every time you hear somebody say, there is no God, from your view, it just simply reinforces your love of God, your conviction, your assurance. Oh, how glad I am that I do know there's a God. So in other words, what they said triggered just the opposite reaction in you. Okay, sure. How can anybody have any doubt that what the mind says, what another human says, but what the mind says, and of course, what I was getting to, what your own mind says, is literally of no consequence. None. The only thing of consequence is the listening part of your own consciousness listening to itself. But what it hears may be just the opposite of what even the talking part of your consciousness said. Just like a person says, there is no God. And what it triggers the movie you see is just the opposite. I don't know how anybody, this was a fast version of that, but how can anybody leave and have any faith? Of course, surely you don't know anything anybody else says in the world, except me, of course. But even if you're past that point, how can you have any faith in what you say? Of course, the thing is, as you standing at your own counter, you're Joe's sports memorabilia, you're behind the counter... You've got all the phony baloney certificates of authenticity under the counter, and you're the customer. So there you are, big old fat Joe with the beard, and the con man Joe, the slippery, unreliable. But you're both of them. That's the talking and the listening part of consciousness. That you're the con man on the side of the counter trying to get you to buy this baseball, and you're the rube on the other side. Probably a prime pigeon. But at any rate, you're both of them. And it takes both of them. But from one view, I was trying to get you to consider, Joe's not the problem. The conner is not the problem. What's being said is not the, quote, problem. It's your listening reaction to it. Of course, that would seem to be right there. One potential answer is, all right, I may have to listen, but by God, I don't have to react to it. I don't have to play that. Uh, I'm not going to watch that. I know there's a movie around my head, but hell, the TV can be on the same room where I am. I don't have to look at it. Somebody hollered, help your fellow man or give money to God or whatever it is or support the Republicans. You know, lick a pig. And I know, I know that that part of my consciousness that heard that, I know. In fact, if I stopped, I could tell you what movie is showing right now. Because I say a movie, it's just a film clip. It's just... Well, there'd be a TV playing in the corner. You don't have to turn and look at it. 
Except now that I mention it, and then you go, I've got to. You weakling. I thought a little final condemnation might help. <laughs> well, I'm afraid, I've, I'm afraid I've been such a bad influence that most of you are no longer Jewish or mother whipped or self-condemnatory. <laughs> I still think I'm awfully good at that. <laughs> huh? 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 <laughs> God, I love a smart aleck. I mean, I hate a smart aleck. You know what I meant. Don't listen to him. <laughs> That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.